welcome to the Junior League of Greater Princeton Centennial Podcast, a show where we're sharing some of the most incredible, important, and memorable moments in our organization's 100-year history. Welcome to the Junior League of Greater Princeton Podcast. Today we'll be we'll be discussing our community-focused food security. I'm Conchetta LaPergola, the host for this episode, and I have with me um, our incoming chapter president, Uta Steinhauser, and our current secretary, Dr. Jailina Sheets. Welcome to you both. Um, If you could please introduce yourselves and just very briefly describe your interest in food security. Sure. Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and go. Um, Yeah, um, like uh, Conchetta said, my name is Jailina Sheets, and I've been a member of Junior League since 2015. Um, and I've really, I've been in, um, uh, uh, the greater Princeton league for, I guess like two years. And I was really excited when they decided to focus on food security. That is an area that I am very passionate about professionally. I have a background as a, as an, as an applied behavior scientist, but my expertise is in, um, food, uh, related behaviors as well as physical, um, activity. And, you know, there are multiple factors that play a role in what we eat um, and uh, how we move. And a lot of it deals with our environment. And so inherently, I can't just look at, you know, eating behavior by itself. I have to think about, okay, what does the food environment look like? What types of food do people have access to? And then what, um, you know, factors outside of the individual play a role in their ability to eat healthfully. So food security is a part of that. And um, I've been, I've spent like this past um, league year or the current league year rather, um, you know, as part of the group of people and organizations educating um, members about food security. And I'll leave it to Uta. <laughs> Good afternoon. Um, so yes, my name is Uta Steinhauser. I've been a member of the Princeton League since 2009. And so that puts me right around, I think the 10 year mark as an active member. And um, you know, my, my excitement about food security really stems a lot from my professional background, which um, similar to Dr. Sheets, you know, I have a, I have a master's in public health and my, my focus for the last decade, I've been working on chronic disease prevention. Um, so for me, when the league started moving more towards um, looking at issue ba- issue-based community impact, which is um, referred to as IBCI, uh, last league year, we looked at a number of different topics to sort of move away from a more general approach of women's and children's issues to look at a specific focus area. Um, this is something that the Association of Junior Leagues International, or AJLI, which is sort of the parent organization for junior leagues around the world, really was um, recommending that leagues do so that we can have a more focused impact in the community where we can actually measure long-term the types of things that we're doing and the type of impact that league members are having in the community. So um, after we took a look at those five areas last year, um, the league you know, had a number of discussions, uh, roundtable sort of work groups with members and came up with the idea that food security would be a great place for us to focus given our you know, existence in the community for the last 100 years, we have a lot of familiar partners. Many of those partners work around issues of food security. So it, it sort of dovetailed nicely into being a focus area for us. Um, so that's sort of how we got to that point. And, and my own professional background, like I said, in public health lends itself 
um, somewhat nicely to, to looking at measurable goals and um, looking at these outcomes. And like I said, my as my background and current work is in chronic disease prevention, obviously knowing the um, connection that being food insecure has to uh, issues of social determinants of health and a lot of the topics that uh, Jelana has so kindly presented to the league as part of our member education series this year. So, so I'm excited that we're moving um, in this direction with the work and the topic. Yeah, me too. I think it's a really exciting focus. Um, for me personally, my background is in um, experimental psychology. And I also did uh, some research work in um, food security and immigrant populations, groups that are just recently coming to the United States when I was in grad school. Um, and, uh, and so this was something that I was really excited to talk to you both about. Um, to just get started with some of the questions that I know um, people have been interested in. Um, as far as New Jersey goes, New Jersey is a really diverse state and Mercer County uh, is, is pretty diverse as well. Um, you know, you have both Princeton and Trenton in our, in our jurisdiction, I guess you could say for the, for the junior league. Um, what does the food security situation look like um, in Mercer County and, um, and how do you think the league can sort of target those specific needs? I think that I can give a little background on just, um, first, I think it's important to define food security, um, but then, and I can give some um, stats on, um, on what, it's like, what it's like in New Jersey. And so um, food security is measured at the household level. So it's not measured by just an individual. So if an individual lives in a household and they are food insecure, then that means that whole household in terms of how we measure it in the US, that whole household is food insecure or secure. <laughs> and so uh, food security exists when all members at all times have access to enough food um, you know, for a healthy life. Um, people who are food secure, they don't experience hunger or even have a fear of starvation. Um, but with food insecurity, it's a little different. And it's a situation where there is limited or uncertain availability of nutritionally adequate or safe foods or limited or uncertain um, ability to acquire acceptable foods in socially acceptable ways. So socially acceptable ways means that they're not stealing food, they're not getting food out of, you know, like garbage cans or so forth. And it also, um, you know, people who experience food insecurity, that could mean that, okay, they may have access to food, but if it's just junk food, then that means, or like just fast food, then that means they are still like food insecure. So food security means that you have access again at all times of, um, of healthy foods. And so when we look at um, New Jersey, I think it's 14% uh, of households in New Jersey are, um, are food insecure. And among children, I believe it's 17% of um, New Jersey's are food, New Jersey children are food insecure. And so I think that, um, you know, with the advent of um, COVID-19, um, you know, people or households that were, you know, formerly had no problem accessing food, paying for food or access to healthy foods. Um, now we've seen a higher rate of um, food, um, food insecurity. Um, so people are having to um, you know, access food or buy food in, in way or obtain food in ways that they hadn't before. So they may have to go to uh, food banks um, or um, people may be in situations where they just have to, you know, they may be eating smaller 
uh, portions of food or their eating patterns might change. So whereas they may have had, you know, three meals a day with like two snacks, now they may have, you know, two meals a day period with like no snacks. Um, so it's looking a lot different for um, people who may not have had any issues <laughs> around food at all. Um, Uda, I don't know if you want to kind of share any more insights. Yeah, so, um, you know, Mercer County is, is interesting. I think that, um, you know, generally there are several communities in Mercer County that are very high income communities. Um, you know, communities, one of the communities has one of the top ranked schools, uh, school districts nationally. Um, but if you look at uh, county health rankings, which is um, something done by, I think it's done by the Robert Johnson Foundation, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, the overall ranking for health factors in Mercer County, where we rank 10th, uh, where, you know, Hunter and County tends to rank towards the top. Now that's a more um, rural county with, you know, very high income level. So you're not seeing some of the challenges that, that Mercer County faces with, you know, areas of very high level income, not that those areas do not have families that are, or households that are food insecure, um, but also then coupled with areas of a very high need. And I would say that, um, you know, we, we focus, have focused a lot traditionally in the Trenton area. You see um, rates of, <clears throat> excuse me, food security issues in Hamilton, um, you know, so I think that uh, for Mercer County as a whole, I think um, it's interesting to go to sort of town by town and look at the rates. And that's some work that we've been doing with members as well. We, had, we participated in a recent panel that the Princeton Library put on and, um, you know, some of the numbers that they were talking about in, in some of the towns within Mercer County were really startling to hear, you know, especially how many children are, are food insecure. And as, uh, as Jelana indicated that, you know, how this has been impacted by COVID-19. And so you take, um, you know, folks that are already on the margin and then just further exacerbate the challenges. And one of the interesting uh, things that came out of the panel discussion was, you know, as as folks start to rebound from the impacts, whether it's financial, job loss, whatever it may be, that, you know, especially with situations where people are being evicted from their homes, um, and as those eviction um, restrictions, you know, that are, I guess there are restrictions in place currently for folks not to be evicted, but, you know, how those long-term issues will cause um, people that are already you know, food insecure and having other challenges, they will not be able to rebound that this will continue to set them back for the next five to 10 years. So I think um, the issue is not going to go away once sort of the entire vaccine rollout happens. And, and that's a whole other topic in terms of challenges and disparities and, and disparities and how the, the, the vaccines are even coming out. But, you know, just thinking about how the situation has been further exacerbated by the pandemic and will continue to be exacerbated for families and uh, for people that are already living in those like razor thin margins. So um, that's, I think, such a important discussion for women like us in the junior league to be able to have and for our members to be really fully informed um, because I do think that we have opportunities to advocate. Um, you know, many of us will have opportunities to kind of talk to people with, um, ability to move policy or to make changes, whether it's local legislators. So I think as, as part of this work, I really see an advocacy piece of it coming to the forefront to say each member is, is well-versed and has sort of their elevator speech around what food security looks like as a whole, what food security looks like in the uh, counties we serve, which is Mercer County, New Jersey and Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Um, so for us to be advocates and in, in moving uh, for more support and for, you know, policy work that helps um, 
support people, whether it's, you know, in increasing the minimum wage or, or um, you know, further talking about these eviction challenges. And I think those all fall into the, to the scope because you know, so at the end of the day, you know, I think probably everyone's smiling, everybody's familiar with that, that concept that, you know, I, I think about kids a lot where, you know, how to, especially kids who are now home um, without food, you know, maybe they got supplemental food in the school setting, uh, you know, and that's of course very important, but, you know, we, we always talked about them on the weekends or on the summer. And, you know, many of these kids have been home for a year um, without enough food. So how does that impact their learning? How does that impact and put them back over time? You know, they, they, how can they catch up, I guess is, is part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to look at, um, as you've noted, like those long-term implicate implications of food insecurity and, um, and hunger, uh, because as I've discussed in some of the talks, like, you know, it can impact, um, your ability to learn, um, it can impact, um, you know, may have like experience like depression, um, higher rates of obesity and other chronic um, diseases. And this is what's been observed, you know, at varying levels for adults as well as, you know, children. And so just thinking again, the long-term implications of this, I don't know if, if people really understand the extent to which they can be, um, affected. And so as Uda was saying, like policy <laughs> um, is the best way to to change to change to, to really see some change and whether it's you know increasing um, you know the um, um, what is it called? You had mentioned Uda um, minimum wage, you know, mm -hmm. increasing increasing that. I mean I think that would be like a great start, but also has to be uh, education as well because people may not know you know how to eat healthily and that could be whether you're food uh, insecure or food secure um, that's like a huge piece of it as well yeah, and I think access is a big piece of it too so <clears throat> just professionally um, you know we I've been involved in some projects looking at healthy corner store initiatives so you know if you are in a place where um, what's considered a food desert. And please don't ask me to tell you what the actual calculation of that is. There's a mileage <laughs> calculation that I can't remember. Um, but, you know, working with, um, you know, healthy corner store initiatives, which, you know, there's a group in Philadelphia that does a lot of that work. You know, when you walk into the store and they don't have adequate refrigeration, they don't have fresh fruits and vegetables. And, you know, you have those, you know, commodity crop products that are up front. One of the um, great documentaries that Jelana recommended when she spoke to the group in September we ended up watching and, and discussing at another meeting. And, and so there was some really eye-opening stuff there too about how we as a nation prioritize what kind of crops that are, um, you know, have more support than others. So it's not, it's not fresh fruits and vegetables. So if you can get an entire meal uh, for $7, you know, and, or feed, you know, feed three or four people for $7 with a cheaper food product, that's what you have to do. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about very limited choice because what else do you have? You, if you can't afford a $7 salad or, you know, the, the pieces to make that happen, I think um, it to me is an issue of priorities and looking at how, you know, not to get too, you know, political with it, but in reality to say how we prioritize, you know, what's acceptable in terms of hunger in this country. So I, you know, the more we d delve into this work um, and through the league and, you know, my own professional experiences in a little different area, we don't talk as much about food security, even though it is definitely part of the social determinants of health and, and, and how people can succeed over time. I just have a hard time reconciling that, you know, the, 
that in general, as a country, we're okay with allowing a certain amount of people being going hungry every day when we have more than enough means to make that end. Like in overnight, we could do it. So um, I think, again, it goes back to that, you know, advocating and being a real mouthpiece for this issue um, as a league and as, as women professionals and those of us that might have access to people with some authority to, you know, advocate for it. So I'll, I'll stop there with my... <laughs> Cause I think we're all in the same page. It's just, it's, yeah. it's a very stunning thing when you start to really look at it. And I, and I appreciate the time that Jelana has spent talking to the league. You know, we've done a lot of member education this year. Um, obviously it's been really challenging with the pandemic for us to meet in person and do a lot of hands-on volunteering. So the focus has been to try to bring forward meaningful opportunities for members to learn um, so that we can continue to deep, you know, dive into the issue and, and members really understand it and, become passionate about it and, and want to work to continue to figure out how we will make a, a further impact in the community once things are a little bit more manageable in terms of working with partners. Yeah. Right. And I think that, um, you know, I just, I, I absolutely agree with your point, but like if, if we made it a priority, I, I don't think, um, or rather, let me rephrase what I was going to say. We can make it a priority because there is, you know, sort of this, um, you know, second resource out there of, of charity support, you know, instead of having a social safety net, we have a charity safety net um, because people can access food banks. So, so we know that it can be done. The question is how can we make that, um, you know, a, a, how can we advocate for a system that, um, that looks at that more deeply than it has in the past? Um, and thinks about that um, more closely, given how many people have been impacted by this pandemic. Because, like, you, like both of you have said, it's not just the people that have been, um, you know, sort of churning uh, through that that almost poor, not poor, back and forth, whether or not they, you know, meet the guidelines for food stamps. It's also people that haven't experienced poverty in the past that are now being impacted. It's large groups of people. Um, and so hopefully, I mean, not that, obviously we never want that to happen, but maybe now that it's come to the forefront, maybe we can take a deeper look at it and really address some of the issues that I think have been out there for lots of people that haven't been addressed in the past. Um, but to just dig a little deeper, um, you know, we've mentioned policy. Um, do we wanna talk a bit about um, the SPAC and like what our um, involved or what that is, what the involvement um, uh, members that maybe aren't aware of it could have in it. Uh, so New Jersey is, um, you know, we have almost nine, 9 million people in the state, but geographically you can get to like one end of the state to another in about four hours. Um, not that I advise doing that on the time that's the New Jersey turnpike is quite a ride. Um, so with, with eight junior leagues in New Jersey, uh, and I don't actually know how many other states have this model. I know that New Jersey kind of always gets lauded by AJLI, again, our, our sort of parent um, organization that we do this work, but we have a state council. So there's a lot of connectivity with the eight junior leagues with each other. So state council, I and I have a hard time with the history. It's been around a long time, but I can't find an exact date anywhere. Um, so basically there's a lot of, um, there's some combined trainings, the junior league presidents um, in New Jersey, they have calls every so often talk about their initiatives. So there's like nice opportunities to um, share information. And one of the pieces that came out of state council um, is the state public affairs committee. And that is really heavily on the advocacy side. And we're really lucky that um, 
one of our members, Del Wallace Robinson, is the current chair of SPAC. And then each league in New Jersey sends two delegates. So because Dell is the current chair, we have um, Janet Greenman is our, our SPAC, uh, other SPAC delegate. So what SPAC does is really work to look at statewide what issues are coming to the forefront advocacy-wise. And they've done a lot of work in the last several years around human trafficking. So that's been sort of a key issue that they go to the um, state house and advocate for. Um, we've had Dell come to one of our meetings last year to speak about it with, um, along with a partner who works in one of the human traffic um, organizations here in New Jersey. So what I think there is an opportunity to do with SPAC, um, you know, I, I know that every so often people come to SPAC to say, listen, I'm really passionate about this issue. I think this would be a great issue for volunteers like you, like all of you as, as um, women in the community that you might want to take up. And I know that I've been present in SPAC meetings where different ideas have been um, brought to the table. So usually what they do is they'll research it in a SPAC committee and then talk about how they would and where they would advocate. So for me, I think um, working on the advocacy piece of this would entail us connecting very heavily with SPAC to say, you know, listen, this is Princeton's new focus area that we anticipate working on for hopefully at least the next decade. I don't think we're going to move the needle that quickly. Um, so I think having that kind of long-term vision on, you know, we're going to stick with this topic at least for the next 10 years. Um, I think there would be a nice opportunity for us there. And, and frankly, I sort of see three pillars coming out of the food security work. Um, and I'm kind of a visual person. So like I see the food security work in the sort of in the middle of a model that, um, that we're starting to build so we can use this as a communication tool with members. And then surrounding that is um, member education, uh, community impact and advocacy. So those are the three big pillars of the work where you know, members can find their place. Um, so if you're somebody that's really passionate about policy, um, and you really want to work on the advocacy side of things, you know, next year and forward, we hope to offer some very specific trainings around advocacy, around food security, and um, obviously the community impact piece. Members come to this organization because they like to volunteer and they want to be hands-on in the community, so that's where that piece will fall in. And then obviously member education is something that I think we need to con continually do to keep members up to date on what's happening, whether that's through formal means like presentations, similar to the work that Jelana has done and other partners have come in to do or sharing you know, new reports, sharing um, readings, sharing things like that and maybe having small group dialogues to say, you know, we just read this article, you know, come for half an hour, we're gonna hop on Zoom and have a call and talk through it and figure out what's going on. So, um, so yeah, to me, the advocacy piece is a big piece of our model moving forward. And I, I hope to use <laughs> my public health background, uh, Jelana's, we have actually some other members too with, um, with some public health experience that's, that this is a very familiar, comfortable way to look at things. And as you shake your head, I'm imagining with your background as well that you have some <laughs> alignment there. So, so yeah, I think that'll be a piece for us to figure out how we can work with SPAC to say, you know, could this be an issue that's elevated statewide that you would work, that they would work with us on, on working on the advocacy piece of too. So I was wondering, um, given, you know, you, you kind of briefly mentioned, you know, with, with the pandemic, we haven't really had the opportunity to do very many things in person. And um, I think policy, I'm, I'm really excited to do any work on policy, but, um, you know, another big part of our league, my understanding, have, it, being a new member, right, I don't have the background in this, but it, you know, it seems like we're a very community focused sort of organization. And so I guess um, my next question is, you know, we still have a little while, I think, before things start to be um, a bit more open and people can be around other people in a safe way. Um, 
how do you both see us building relationships with um, community organizations that are kind of on the ground that might already be in the in the thick of it, trying to work through these issues? How would we connect to, um, I guess, those kinds of organizations and also the people that they serve so that they know that we're here as a resource in terms of like the community grants that we're here for any assistance they might need. You know, how do you, how do you see us really building those relationships under this kind of circumstance? Well, I think that we've been doing that this year. Um, I know that, um, uh, you know, Uda and her team have really been uh, doing a lot of research on food security and this started, you know, like, you know, last year, last summer, um, maybe even before that, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, and they were researching different uh, partners that may, um, you know, that we may want to like connect with. And so in this league year, you know, we've had a number of speakers come. And I think that that has shown our interest um, and potentially our commitment to food security. And so I think even through, um, you know, this, you know, focusing on education this year, um, we've been able to even learn about, you know, other members' interest and connections that they have um, that either, you know, directly or indirectly related to food security. I know just from the presentations that I've given, members have like reached out to me, um, whether it's, uh, you know, just their professional background in public health, or they may sit on an advisory board for um, an organization that kind of like focuses on uh, food security. So I think this year has been a lot about relationship making, as well as figuring out like what these, um, you know, partners or organizations uh, need. And so, you know, we've been working with um, Mercer Street Friends, and there's been opportunities for members to go and, um, you know, um, one, donate food. And then there's like another organization, I'm not sure if it's Mercer Street Friends or another one, but there's been opportunities for members to, I think, go and like, you know, actually distribute, um, distribute food. Um, and so I think that we're really like doing a great job given the circumstances um, of the world right now. Um, but again, I think educating members, ensuring that they are able to have, um, as Uda mentioned earlier, a, um, an elevator speech, <laughs> you know, about like what food security is, how it's important for the community and what Junior League, um, you know, will do or is currently um, doing, then I think that that is important. And then we can go more into, you know, um, do more, you know, in subsequent years. But I think that we're doing a good job given the situation. <laughs> Thank you, Delana. I would, I would add to that, um, you know, one of the things that we are doing this year is we've put out a community request for a proposal for $25,000, um, which is, you know, part of our centennial sort of celebrating the centennial. And that is that RFA, RFP, I'm sorry, um, is sort of, it's strictly around food security and for agencies in either Mercer or Bucks County to apply. So um, I think that is an exciting piece of the work that will also help focus us in on the community work that we'll do in subsequent years to, Jol to Jolana's point. Um, 
in, in the past 10 years that I've been in the league, you know, there's been projects. So it's all focused around women and children, but it's a project here, a project here, a project here. This partner needs this. So I think what we'll start to do is as we get a better picture of the landscape and who is in that landscape to say, where is our niche as a junior league? Um, you know, frequently you hear from partners. I heard it on the panel discussion they need money. I mean, they are directly buying food for the community. So if we have means to do that, we can do that. We've done that for the last year and a half, you know, uh, funds that we set aside in the community budget that would have been, uh, you know, given to an event that supports, say, the Women at Home Front or doing something with them there, we gave out direct support, which is not generally how we do that. We do have a small grants and scholarships program, um, but this large RFP will be a nice jumping off point for us because the agency that gets awarded and there's a panel of reviewers in place, league members, mostly of our sustaining members. So it's a very formal review process. Um, they have to meet, meet a number of requirements. It was a very um, formal response that they had to send us. They have to include in there uh, ways that league members could potentially volunteer. So whatever project that they're proposing to do, there should be some built-in work for league members. So, you know, we're still talking a lot about what our community impact work will look like over time. You know, whether we will, you know, pick one sort of capstone project that's ours or whether it makes most sense to kind of meet partners where they are to say, okay, these are, these are the portfolio of food partners that work in Mercer and Bucks County. Um, this organization really needs this. They need hands-on volunteers on these days or to do this. So I think we're still kind of figuring that landscape out since this work is newer to us as a focus um, and to say, then how do we look at what our impact is over time? So, you know, I think as a volunteer organization, you know, we have more leeway in how we look at things because, you know, members are coming for different things. They're coming for camaraderie and friendship and volunteering and networking and, you know, um, leadership development. So the volunteering piece is part of that. And it's a way that we develop and, and uh, develop the skills and, and potential of the women that join us. But how do we want to look at what our community impact is over time? So I think we're still kind of looking at that big picture. Um, but I definitely think having carved out areas within the topic to give members different opportunities um, to learn, to advocate, and to do community volunteering um, will be the crux of, of how we try to figure out what that, will, what that will be in terms of the partners and how we work with them. So, and this is all really exciting, by the way. I really love listening to this kind of stuff. I, I, I really enjoy listening to how a project unfolds from the beginning. I'm just curious to know, um, I guess, if, if things were to go along in some sort of ideal world, what, what do you think would be like your hope or maybe your goals for this 10 years from now? We have um, an impact on, I mean, obviously that we have an impact um, on food security, um, just directly as an organization, but also through other organizations. And I think you know, that speaks to how important um, like measurement <laughs> is um, for, for this effort and that we have all of the metrics in place to kind of um, determine what our impact is, whether it's again directly or just through working with other organizations. Um, and it will really help us know like our impact as well as our reach. And um, so my hope is that we're able to reach um, you know, individuals and groups that maybe we had not accessed before, you know, so it's like, yes, we're junior league, we've been around for, you know, a hundred years, 
And there may be certain groups that, you know, we just kind of naturally work with or populations that we naturally reach. So I hope that we extend ourselves so that we can really make an impact among individuals and communities that may not even have known who we are. So everything Jelana said, <laughs> and um, I also would love to see that in this time, we have essentially an army of women in this league who um, know the topic well, speak to the topic easily, are passionate, engaged, um, and look through the lens of this in everything that they see. Because I do think, um, you know, these, these sort of stories come out like this young lady, this child that was in school and upset and on Zoom and her teacher was trying to find out what's wrong and finds out, you know, she hasn't eaten and she's starving and everybody starts piling in with, with you know, sort of this crowdsourcing thing that I guess we do nowadays to help people get healthcare and food, uh, you know, basic needs in life. So <clears throat> I think that, um, you know, moving away from it being so shocking to people that there are hungry people in their communities to our members being fully versed, understanding, knowing where those issues lay and knowing who to talk to and how to move, like, like Jelana said, move the needle on this. And, you know, for us to be a resource, you know, I, th I don't think our, our financial structure is not that we have, you know, millions of dollars to put into community projects, but figuring out um, meaningful community projects that we can impact, whether it's, you know, working in the school setting, working in, you know, uh, the community setting or whatever, however we want to define that over time. So, yeah, I think that that measurement piece will be really important. I do think we want to be able to um, maybe showcase isn't the right word, but demonstrate impact that we have. Um, because I do think that's really meaningful for members as well to understand that sort of the collective impact that we're all part of. And um, that's, that's what I would love to see us have some measurable objectives in place that annually we can look at to say, okay, this is the progress we've made here. This is the progress we've made here, but also having passionate members who go out there ad and advocate. And I keep going back to that word, I'm sorry, but that really speak to this as a real reason why they continue to stay in the league. They continue to want to support the league with their membership dues and with their, um, you know, obligations for tickets and other fundraising things that, that they feel like it's, um, it's well spent and that their time is well spent working on it. I like the way you described it as like an army of uh, <laughs> security, you know, advocates, because I think like, yeah, I think that's, that's what we want. And this is an issue that has existed you know, forever, you know, and now is a time where Junior League wants to um, help address it. And so I think that, yeah, like this idea that we're like training members to be this like food army of food security advocates. And I can say that like, I joined Junior League um, initially because um, how it was like, you know, introduced and, you know, like phrased to me was that you know, Junior League is a type of organization where you go in and you can learn a new skill um, and say like you're, you know, you want to advance in say your career, for example, but in your day-to-day -day job, you don't necessarily have, you know, whatever type of experience is needing. But in Junior League, because there's so many different areas and, you know, regardless of like topic, but there's so many different areas where you can, um, you know, learn new information, learn new skills. I think that this is great um, for the league. And, um, you know, we may think that something that we're doing in the league may not necessarily like directly correlate to 
um, you know, our job or whatever, but there's so many skills that I've learned, even just with, um, and just even within this, this year of me being, um, on the, um, on the board of the, the league, like so many skills that I've kind of like taken on. And I will say that I have a fear of speaking, <laughs> even though I teach and do all this stuff, like I'm always like very nervous. And so by speaking with the league, you know, that is helped like sharpening my, um, you know, my presentation skills, you know, and putting together decks and speaking and trying to get past that, you know, my own fears. And so I think that like, whatever you do related to food security in the league, you can kind of sharpen skills, learn new skills and so forth. So I think that members should kind of like think of it in that way. I love that, Jelena. I, I love that frame. I think that's so important as part of our mission too. And uh, frankly, you could never tell that you're nervous. <laughs> I'm always nervous. <laughs> you can't tell, you hide it very well. And um, obviously since you're a subject matter expert, it's, you know, we've, we've really benefited from, from hearing from you from the, the two times you've presented. We appreciate it. And I think for members, especially that first conversation and dialogue where you presented in September, um, I think members were blown away, frankly, the feedback that I got and, and just seeing how members kind of like, there was a lot of eye-opening things said that I just think in, in um, you know, sometimes with, when we work within our disciplines, you, you can get such tunnel vision because we're obviously, many of us are working in situations where we're around professionals that have the same lens, the same, you know, sort of direction and same focus. So I think talking to a, um, a more diverse group of women in terms of their skill sets and uh, professional backgrounds and, and passions and interests, I think it was really, really neat to watch sort of the faces when certain things were said. Um, and, I, and I love that because I do think, again, it goes back to like when you awaken somebody to these issues and they learn about it, um, then then they have reason to act and they understand. And, and I think that that's what's been so great about you know, the silver lining of, of uh, functioning as a league during the COVID times, especially with a new focus area that I do believe has been a great benefit is the focus on member education and giving members opportunities to dig in a little bit. And in the second half of the year, there, there's still, you know, resources and things we want to share and have some more um, small group discussions here and there. Um, I feel like, I feel like when you hit this point of the league, you're all of a sudden, it's like everyone starts planning everything for next year. And we're like, we still have months left in this league year. Let's enjoy it and, and keep focused on it. But, um, you know, also being mindful that we don't really know what next fall will look like. And, you know, will we be in a similar situation? Will we started just be coming out from under the cloud or, uh, you know, what that's going to be. So I think um, creating that big picture plan with, with the, again, I love, I love my buzzwords, but the pillars, <laughs> member education, advocacy, and community impact, it gives us a place to say, you know, we've really tried to pivot and focus on, on this member education piece through, um, through Jelana's talks, through partners coming in, through, um, you know, I, I love when we did the, and I feel like all the months start to blend together, but when we had members watch the documentary and then have a discussion about it, you know, trying to do things in a different uh, different little format every month so that it's not just the same sitting in front of the Zoom, you know, kind of thing. Cause I know that everybody's kind of fatigued with that. So, so yeah, so we've tried to make the best of it, but um, looking forward to what the future will bring and hopefully kind of ingraining the language and the visioning so that, you know, as we turn over presidents every year, we turn over management and board members that, you know, people keep the mantle up to say, this has been the vision and this is how we're gonna implement it. 
Well, thank you so much, like both of you for, I mean, I think, I think this was a really fun episode to put together. Um, and I, and I also think that this is something that, um, is going to be really awesome for our community and I'm really excited to be part of it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Junior League of Greater Princeton Centennial Podcast. The Junior League of Greater Princeton is an organization of women committed to promoting volunteerism, developing the potential of women, and improving communities through effective action and leadership of trained volunteers. Its purpose is exclusively educational and charitable. We value community. It is the heart of all we do. Volunteerism, the way we make a difference in our communities. Leadership, the development of individual potential and the collective power of women as leaders. Collaboration, the relationships we develop within our organization and through service with others. And respect for our members' time, energy, and well-being. Since its founding in 1921, the Junior League of Greater Princeton has been an organization of women bringing people and needs together. We welcome all women over the age of 21 who demonstrate a commitment to volunteerism, regardless of race, religion, or national origin. Currently, there are new, nearly 250 active, provisional, and sustaining members from Mercer, Middlesex, and Bucks counties and the surrounding areas. The Junior League of Greater Princeton is part of the Association of Junior Leagues International, which includes 292 leagues in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and Great Britain. For more information about what we do in the organization or how to get involved, visit www.jlgp.org.